Please take a seat. If you could have Luke chapter 13 open in front of you, and let's go to God to ask him to help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're the one who has given us the words of eternal life and help us to so know and understand them that we will come to that life and bring many people with us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, will those who are saved be only a few? So came the question by this Jewish man here in chapter 13 and verse 22. As Jesus heads towards Jerusalem, he gets this question. Is it just a few who will make it to heaven? It's a very relevant question today, is it not? Is it all people who will make it to heaven? Or just those who are religious? Is it all religions that will make it to heaven? Or is it those who are of the Christian religion? Is it all those who are in the name of Christianity who will make it to heaven? Or just a subset of them? Are you, am I, going to be those who are saved? It's a very personal question, isn't it? Will I be included? In the first century, the expectation of being saved is to actually belong and come into the kingdom of God. You see in verse 28 here, to be those who recline, who are eating with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the great patriarchs of God's people. To be those who are with God in, in the capital, in Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 8, coming up on the screen, there is the great hope as Zechariah looks forward into the future. A future when there will be no more fasting, but instead there will be cheerful feasts Heaven is like eating together. Jerusalem is to be that heaven. The kingdom of God is to start from this Jewish capital. That was the expectation of the Jews in the first century. In our passage today, we see quite a few different people. There's Herod, you see, in verse 31. He was the puppet king. Now, he wasn't expecting, he wasn't wanting heaven to come. He didn't want God's kingdom to come. He was quite happy to be ruling under the Romans. Everything was fine. He was happy. Everything was status quo. That would be good. The Pharisees, you see, on the other hand, in verse 31, they wanted the kingdom. They were those who thought that if everybody, every Jew, obeyed the Ten Commandments for just one day, then God's kingdom will arrive. They wanted the kingdom. But the general Jewish public... They were looking for a Messiah, for a king to come. You see in verse 35 there, it's another Old Testament expectation for a time when people will cry out, blessed is he who will come in the name of the Lord, an expectation of the coming king. That was the mood of the day. But who is this king? Where will he come? A lot of movies these days speak about the coming one. Uh, you hear of Harry Potter. He, of course, was the coming one to defeat he who should not be named. And the Lord of the Rings, who's the one who will come and defeat the dark, evil Sarion? Of course, it's this man, Frodo, the Lord 
of the rings, who will destroy the ring and so that Saurian would not rule Middle-earth. I love Star Wars and in Star Wars it's all about who is the one who will come to bring balance back to the Force. And they thought it was first this, this youngster, Anakin, little Anakin. He has the most Metachlorians in his blood. He has, really has the Force with him. Is he the one? But as we read on and watch on, next slide, little boy becomes big boy and Anakin turns to the dark side and actually becomes the evil Darth Vader. And in the final scene of episode 3, he fights the good guy and he's defeated and he lies on the ground half burnt up. And his master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, says, you were meant to be the one, you were like a brother to me. What has happened? You were meant to be the chosen one. He cannot be the chosen one, can he, when he's Darth Vader? Who is the one? Luke, chapter 7 and verse 19 says this. <laughs> Calling two of his disciples to him, John the Baptist sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus says, I've been doing miracles here and there, the blind see, the lame walk, the gospel is preached. I am the one. He's pointing to him as the one. And when you get to the turning point of Luke's gospel, in chapters 9 and verse 51 coming up on the screen, this Jesus who sees himself as the chosen one resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem towards the capital for he is the one who will bring in the kingdom at the capital when my kids were small uh, princess margaret visited sydney and they knew that she was going to pass by so the whole primary school all uh, 200 kids lined up in the afternoon to see now there's much confusion amongst the young kids what was happening some thought, ah, oh, maybe the queen is coming. No, 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 not the queen, the princess. Oh, the princess. Is she going to come in a horse and a carriage? Mm, maybe, maybe not. And others were very confused what's happening. And one person said, one little girl said, I think, I think Jesus is coming. <laughs> well, here in this story, it is exactly that. Jesus, the chosen one, was passing through the village. And so this person asked a very astute question. Is it many that will be saved, or just a few? Point two, Jesus' answer is, in verse 24 to 30, don't be left out. That's the answer. It's not how many or how few, it's make sure you are not left out. Verse 24, there is a narrow door, so that not many people can go through at once. In other words, you've got to strive to enter. Do not be complacent. It's like uh, trying to get on an LRT train, LRT, you know, it's really crowded, rush hour. Will you ever get in? You can't just stand back and relax. No, you've got to push your way in. It's like that door around here. That is the narrowest door I've ever seen, <laughs> right? It's like all of us trying to come into here. Well, you may not make it. Jesus says, the door into heaven is a narrow door. But worse than that, not only is it that many will seek to come in and will not, not just because it's narrow, but because it's going to be closed shut very soon verse 25 there will be a point when it's too late to enter 
And so Jesus says in verse 25b, there'll be a house owner who will say as he closes the door and as people knock and want to come in, the house owner would say, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. Verse 26, the people say, well, we saw you. Uh, we were with you in the street. We ate with you. We, we, we heard you. Teach us. Verse 27, again, I do not know where you're from. The owner does not know. That is previous associations, mere small associations is not enough. To take a little selfie with Jesus as he passes by is not enough. And so the master of the house in this parable says to the people, away from me, away from me, you do as you workers of evil. In the end, it's got to do with relationship with the owner. In the end, it's got to do whether you are in the side of evil or on his side. To be left outside, not to be able to enter in, not to be saved, well, it is to be out there where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see there, the people left outside Verse 28, it's a, it's a picture of hell, isn't it? Jesus is the great preacher of hell, for he believed in it. Weeping is where there's sadness, where there's, there's angst, where there's... It's just not good. The, the gnashing of teeth is where people are angry, angry at God, angry with one another. The pain, the horror. The opposite is to be, verse 29 feasting in God's kingdom. To be those who are reclining at table with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You're going to miss out on that if you don't come in to the kingdom. Heaven is like eating. It's feasting. It's the idea of table fellowship. My mother likes talking. And even when she goes to a hawker store, you know, where you go in and they're so crowded and just sit down next to someone and you eat your food, they eat their food. Well, my mother cannot do that. Whenever she sits down, she starts talking to people. And she'll, to a complete stranger, say, oh, you know, your, um, your chicken looks nice. Uh, I got some char seal. Would you like to try some of my char seal? And then the other person soon has to say, oh, would you want to try some of my chicken? Oh, yes, yes, please. And they start talking. You see, sitting on the same table, sharing the same food, it's in the end about relationship. Heaven is about relating to God. He is there. It's about fellowship with his people. To miss out on that is to be left out. It's like finding that you were not invited to a party. You saw the Facebook posts. There's all your friends together having a good time and you look for yourself and you realise I'm not in the picture because I was not invited there to miss out. Who misses out? Verse 30. The first will be last. That is the Jewish people, they were the first to uh, be offered salvation. God saved them in the Old Testament. But those first who were in, Jesus saying, you may actually miss out. You may actually be the last. And the last, verse 30, will be first. For there are those from east and west, north and south, people from all over the world who will actually enter the kingdom, 
Zechariah chapter 8 that was read out for us says that towards the end, coming up on the screen again, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 22 there. Many peoples, strong nations shall come to seek the Lord in Jerusalem, that is in Jerusalem again, and entreat the favour of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from every nation of every tongue shall take hold of the rope of a Jew and saying, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Wouldn't that be good, isn't it? You're walking down um, KL, wearing your Smago uh, T-shirt, and as you walk down, ten strangers come from all different nationalities. We want to go with you to Smago because we've heard that God is there. That's great evangelism, isn't it? You don't have to do anything. They just keep flooding in. To Jerusalem, there'll be people from all nations who will be saved. But it's not what you expect. The first will be last, and the last will be first. So are only a few saved? Jesus' answer says, make sure you don't miss out. In this parable, the key is whether you are related rightly to the master of the house. Whether the master of the house actually knows you. Who is this master of the house? Remember the people say, oh, well, we saw you in the street, we ate with you. You taught in our streets. And we see from the beginning of this passage, in chapter 13 and verse 22, who is it that was teaching in their streets? It was Jesus himself. And so comes this very astute question and the answer. Is it many that will be saved? And Jesus says, make sure you don't miss out. What about we, we who were with you? We, we, we heard you speak. Well, that is not enough. For Jesus is the one who is coming and walking and preaching. And this is the moment that they got to cease, not just to listen to him, but to follow him. What is Jesus going to do? Where is he going? Why is he going there? Point three, the city that kills her king. Verse 31 to the end of the chapter, we see Jesus continually heading towards Jerusalem. Verse 31, the Pharisees, they warn Jesus. They say, hey, maybe you shouldn't go to Jerusalem because guess what? Herod is trying to kill you. There's this threat of, um, of death. and a, There's a rumour of a death threat. Hard to know whether Herod actually wanted to kill Jesus. It was the Pharisees, really, who wanted to kill Jesus. For the last two, three years, they wanted to kill Jesus. But now they somehow do not want Jesus to proceed towards Jerusalem. Jesus is not put off by this. Verse 32, go tell that fox, go tell that Herod. He knew that the Pharisees and Herod were talking to one another. Go tell him that I have to keep going. Verse 22, we saw that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 31, that very hour he's asked this, uh, he's told this, uh, this rumour, hey, Herod wants to kill you. Doesn't matter. That very hour he continues on to Jerusalem. But notice in verse 32 there, he gives a timing to it. And I think it's more than just, you know, he's Google mapped it, he's worked out how long it's going to take him to walk to Jerusalem. It's something more. There's something about the second day. There's something about the third day. It's not just that he's got to keep going very quickly. 
It's not just saying that it's something in concession very soon that he'll... No, no, it's something about the second and third day. For in the Old Testament, in Hosea chapter 6, again coming up on the screen, the second and third day are the days of salvation. Israel had sinned against God and God comes and punishes, but there will be a time when they would return to God. Chapter 6 and verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, but he will bind us up. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live with him. The second, the third day is the day of salvation. Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to actually bring about this day of salvation. Jesus says in verse 32 that he'll reach his goal. It's about a plan. It's about a purpose. It's about a, a mission that Jesus wants to finish, to complete that when he gets to Jerusalem, it will be done. Remember chapter 9, verse 51, he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, and now, verse 33, he must, he must do it. Why? Because, verse 33, a prophet cannot die outside of Jerusalem. See, Jesus hasn't gone to Jerusalem in order to go to the capital, and to conquer over the Romans. No, no, no. Later on in Luke, uh, Jesus says, oh, give to Caesar the money that belongs to him. Uh, put your sword away, uh, Peter. You know, don't go fighting. Let, let them arrest me. Jesus has not come to, to start a coup, to start a rebellion. He hasn't come like Hong Kong wanting to throw off Beijing or, or Barcelona wanting to get rid of Spain. No, it's not about a Brexit or anything like that. Now, Jesus has come to Jerusalem in order to perish, in order to die. You're scaring me about how Herod wants to kill me? Well, bring it on. He's going to Jerusalem to die. Why? In Jerusalem is where the king will come. That is why. You see in the end of verse 35 here, he says, you, you guys are not going to see me again. I'm going to keep pressing on to Jerusalem. You won't see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a, it's a prophecy about, um, about the Messiah coming. And at the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 19, indeed Jesus comes. And the people cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a little cult. In chapter 22, he's doing the Lord's Supper, the, the, uh, the Passover with them. And he says, this is my body broken for you. That is, he's going to perish. His body's going to be broken. Why? For others. I met a man who was an overseas student from China. And I tried to talk to him about the gospel. I said, have you heard about Jesus? He says, yes, I have. And I said, how did you hear about Jesus? He said, I heard him, uh, watched him, saw him in a movie. And I thought, ah, must be the Jesus movie, you know, translated into Mandarin. But he said, no, 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 it wasn't called the Jesus movie. It was a cartoon. Oh, cartoon. What cartoon? He said, I think it was called The Simpsons. Mm, very interesting. I thought, hmm, well, let's, let's test this out. Well, what did you learn from the Simpsons about Jesus? And he looked me straight in the eye and said, I learned 
that Jesus died for my sins. And I thought, oh, preach it, Brother Ned. You know, Ned Flanders living next to the Simpsons. Maybe he's meant to be a Christian. Maybe he told the gospel. Then I asked this man, okay, what did the Simpsons teach you about Jesus dying for your sins? What does that mean? He looked me straight in the eye and said, I don't know. Do you know? What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? Why death? Death because it's the punishment for sin. What does it mean for my sins? It means in my place. He's my body broken for you. Jesus' death is for us. It's a substitute. He dies instead of us. Herod, uh, at the end of the Gospel, actually does see Jesus. He doesn't want to kill him. He's very intrigued. Oh, ask him all these questions. He's hoping that Jesus will do a miracle, but Jesus doesn't. And then Herod's a bit fed up with Jesus and sends him back to Pontius Pilate. Herod does not see that Jesus deserves death. Jesus is innocent. And so what we have is an innocent man dying for us who are not innocent, us who are sinful, us who have rejected God. It is actually not fair, is it? One of my relatives is coming to know uh, the Bible and uh, after a little while he's finally worked out that, hey, if Jesus has to die for my sins, then that is not fair. He's innocent. He shouldn't have to die. Why can't I, I pay for my own sins? That would be fair, wouldn't it? But that's the trouble, isn't it? If we pay for our own sins, then we'll be out in the weeping and gnashing of teeth. We'll be suffering hell. But Jesus went to hell in our place. It's not fair. It's what we call mercy. My father... Uh, a couple of years ago, was caught speeding by a speeding camera three times by the same camera. I said, how did you manage that? So much so that he lost so many of his driving points that he had to give up his license for six months. He said, I, I, I can't, how can I live like this? And so he decided to appeal in the Sydney court. So there he went to court before the magistrate uh, all the evidence was there, you know, he had spared and there was his picture, you know, it was him driving the car. What was his plea? Well, he said to the magistrate, uh, Sir, I know that I have, uh, no, I'm guilty, but I'm a Christian and the New Testament tells me that God gives mercy on those who are guilty. Please, will you have mercy on me? What you're doing, laughing, is exactly what the magistrate did. Ha ha ha, and then gave him the fine and took away his license. <laughs> Good try, right? Friends, we have done far more against God than just broken the speed limit, haven't we? And what is due to us is far worse than just losing our license for six months. It is to lose our life for eternity. And yet, the great thing is, before the court of heaven, the great magistrate, God himself, he did that which was merciful. Not fair, but merciful to us. 
And Jesus then goes to Jerusalem in order to do just that. For a prophet cannot die outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus completes his mission. There was the plan of God and he does it. It must happen. And he carried it out. In the process, though, the Jews were responsible. You know, the Jew cast out, well, it was God's plan, and so you did it, so you know, we had nothing to do with it. No, 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 no. They were responsible for killing Jesus. And yet, Jesus uh, still wants them to, to repent, to turn. Jesus does not attack them in terms of having some glee, ha-ha, you know, you're so sinful, I'm going to blow you off the, the planet. No, no. Listen to Jesus here in chapter 13 and verse 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often will I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You know, it's like, it's like Jerusalem was a wayward teenager gone off to drugs, etc., he, what he's done is wrong. What he's done is, is dishonouring to the parents. But the parent doesn't, ah, oh, forget you, right? No, I'll just concentrate on number two, son. No, no. He wants the sons to come back. He longs for them to return. Jesus is like that. And yet, you said that in verse 34, you would not. Jesus longs that we turn back to him. But the Jews of the first century would not. And so they killed him. And so they are even more culpable for what they have done. And yet the irony of it is, it's because they rejected Jesus, that is how Jesus was able to complete his mission. It's because they killed him, that's why Jesus can die for our sins. And so what does it mean for us in terms of entering the kingdom, point four. Let's draw the threads together. Is there many who will be saved or just a few? Comes the question. Jesus' answer turns on the fact that he's the one who has come to rescue. That's why he goes to Jerusalem. That's why it's his mission. And he goes there not just to exorcise demons, but actually to defeat Satan himself. He goes there to rescue us out of our living for ourselves and our sins so that we can live for Jesus the King. He did that. He said he must go. At the end of the Gospel in Luke chapter 24, Jesus, risen from the dead, says to his disciples, I had to, I must suffer. The Son of Man, the Christ, had to suffer and had to rise on the third day and the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations. This is the very plan of God, the very mission of God. Jesus decided resolutely to go to Jerusalem. How are we going to be involved in the plan of God? What is, what is it that we set our face to? What is it that we want to do with our life? If we understand that 
It's not many that will be saved. It's only those who relate rightly to Jesus who will be saved. What are we living for? Are we using the opportunities we have at work, at, at school, in order to tell the people around us who are going to hell? People around us who Jesus wants to, to, to bring back. Are we going to be those who let them know? More than that, not just other people, but what about ourselves? Will many be saved or just a few? Jesus' answer is, many will seek to enter and will not be able. For it's not all people who are saved. It's not all religious people who are saved. It's not even if you have the right religious heritage, even the Jews would miss out if they do not believe in the Christ, the Jesus. And it's not all those who are Christian in name who will be saved. Sometimes we think it's automatic, maybe. Sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, Jesus, uh, uh, we, we heard you, we ate with you, we heard, you know, we go on our past associations, mere associations with Jesus. I went to the cathedral, I got baptised, I'm an Anglican. Those things are not sufficient. What it takes is actually for Jesus to know us. And Jesus knows us only as we trust in what he did in his mission. He came to die for our sins. It is great humility that we need to trust him to die for our sins. It is our pride that says, surely I can pay for my own sins, I should be responsible. But friends, that will only lead us to destruction. He has come to do that which is merciful. Do you know Jesus like that? Does he know you as one who is trusted in his death alone? And also then to live as as submission, as, as, as people to the king, as people to the owner of the house. For he died as the king. You can't say, oh, well, I have Jesus my saviour and I'll just go on my merry way and still live for myself. I have Jesus my saviour but still go on my mission in life to be successful and a good career and own those houses and cars, have those overseas trips. You can't live for yourself and have Jesus death for you. No, no, for he died for you as the king. There is a sign above his head which is the king of the Jews. He wore a crown. He was dressed up in purple. They bowed down to him. Hail, king of the Jews. He died as the king. And if he's going to be the one who died for us, he needs to be our king. And so we need to turn before it's too late. For Jesus here says that the door will be shut Friends, you never know when, when Jesus will return. You never know when you will pass away and die. You can catch a plane that they won't find. You can try to cross the road and not get to the other side. It's easy to think, oh, well, wait till I'm old. But when you're old, how do you know you change your mind? 
Most likely you just get perpetuated in rejecting Jesus. Why not even tonight come in and trust him? He's the kind of prayer to ask God that we might be those who, are, who will be able to enter this narrow door. Here's the, up on the screen. Let me read through, quickly through it and then I'll lead us in prayer. Dear God, I want to be saved. There's that desire, isn't it? The desire that even this man who asked the question had. But I know I deserve to be under your judgment, away from you, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I see that no amount of past mere associations with religion or even Christianity is enough. I need forgiveness. There is our state. Thank you for Jesus who resolutely completed his mission and died as the king on the cross. Thank you that he was innocent but died for my sins, taking my punishment in my place. Thank you that he rose again from the dead as the king of all the world. Please forgive me and change me that I might live with Jesus as my king and saviour. Do you want to enter heaven? Why not repeat in the quietness of your own heart as I lead us all in prayer, as we respond to Jesus? And the question, is it only a few who will be saved? Why not be one who comes into the kingdom? Let's pray. We may be those who have heard these things for the first time or we may be those who've come along to church things for a long time. But tonight we recognise that Jesus actually does not know us and we want to be saved by him. Dear God, I want to be saved but I know I deserve to be under your judgment away from you where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I see now that no amount of past mere association with religion or even Christianity is enough. I need forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus who resolutely completed his mission and died as the king on the cross. Thank you that he was innocent, but died for my sins, taking my punishment in my place. Thank you that he rose from the dead to be the king of all the world. Please forgive me and change me, that I might live with Jesus as my king and my saviour. Amen.